Trevor Alpert, the Tijuana Brass, Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is a prospect analyst for Fangraphs, also the proprietor of rotoscouting.com. His name is Mike Newman. In this edition of Fangraphs Audio, I forced Newman uh, to talk about college baseball for a little bit. Uh, today, Friday, the day on which we recorded it, marks the beginning of the collegiate baseball season. It is, of course, uh, no great insight to note that a good number of the juniors and seniors playing college baseball today will also be players taken in the uh, the first and, of course, the other rounds of the 2013 amateur draft. Talk about some players by name, uh, but, but really my interest here is in what value the college game has for Newman uh, as someone who, who cares quite a bit and writes about prospects. We discuss more maybe the sort of uh, conceptual underpinnings of the game rather than potential of uh, any one specific player. Uh, but that's, I've already said too much. It's, it's ridiculous. You want to hear Mike Newman, of course, that's why you're here. So let's, uh, let's do that exact thing. As I say, uh, it is Fangraphs Audio. It does feature prospect analyst Mike Newman, and it begins right now. baseball that I can now watch. Um, and I know we're recording this uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Eastern, NC State plays. And NC State features uh, probably one of the best pitchers in the country. He's not uh, he's not draft eligible. He's only a sophomore. But he was excellent last year as a freshman. Um, his name is Carlos, Carlos Rodon, I believe is how you say his name. Um, okay. And uh, he had 135 strikeouts in, I think, 114 innings last year. Uh, I don't know necessarily what sort of projection his build has. He's not a very uh, – he, he kind of looks – not filled out, but close, and he's not tall in particular. Uh, however, um, he's going to be pitching today, and he's good at striking people out, so that's exciting. Uh, anyway, my point is I'm excited to watch that. I don't necessarily know how that equates to uh, prospecting, et cetera, you have a certain amount of time. You use a lot of it uh, for the minor leagues as opposed to college, um, despite maybe living not very, 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 very far from Georgia Tech. Um, I don't know how far you are. But well, uh, maybe uh, talk about your choices so far as that's concerned. Well, you know, I live about 45 minutes from uh, Georgia Tech Stadium, hmm. and I went a handful of times in 2011. Uh, I think I caught Danny Holtz in there, uh, Joe Panic. Jed Bradley, it just so happened that it was a very strong ACC season with the opportunity to see a handful of future first-round draft picks. So I took full advantage of that. But last year, Georgia Tech wasn't quite as strong. Uh, their roster strength was in sophomores, which really didn't mean a whole lot to me, given I'd have a chance to see them as juniors, too, when the draft was actually approaching. So I didn't really feel a need to go to many uh, college games and wound up not seeing any. Um, the tough thing about college baseball is that because just because the season starts in February and the June draft is only in a few months doesn't mean that everything is not going to change wildly. Uh, for example, when I watched Zach Cohn play for Georgia, I thought he was a potential sandwich round pick. Well, I didn't know that he would have a horrible junior season and fall to the third or fourth round. That makes the work that it takes to go and scout and write up a Zach Cohn uh, a bit fruitless because everybody's interested in first-round picks. Everybody's interested in truly top prospects. And 
in general, I have a, a much better opportunity to see a plethora of prospects on one field when I watch minor league baseball. So given equal amounts of time, I'll always choose the minor league game. Right. Now, I think Georgia Tech might have a stronger team this year. Is that right? Which would maybe uh, maybe uh, make those games more interesting to you? Absolutely. I mean, they have a guy that's had the potential for, for the Golden Spikes Award, who I'd seen uh, a couple years ago and want to follow up on. They have uh, some junior bats. You know, a few years ago, the team had uh, Skull, who you'd love to talk about. Um, oh, yes, had, yes. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, they had Matt Skull, who you'd love to, to discuss and, and banter about. And they had, and Skull was another great example of a guy who everybody thought would go very, very high. So I took all the time to video, take video on him and write about him, and then he goes in the fifth round and nobody cares. So um, that team had Skull and it had Mark Pope and it had Jed Bradley. I mean, that was an awfully good team. But one of the great things about that team, too, was it was a phenomenal freshman class, and that class is now juniors. So I will definitely be interested in going uh, down there and, and checking that team out. Uh, and seeing if you know, there are any potential first-round picks or high-round guys worth uh, writing about. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, but I guess I see what you're saying. In terms of if you're trying to get as many hits, I guess, as you can. And I know that, you, that this for you is like uh, it's almost the way that like a, like a coin collector uh, you know, or, or, or a collector of any sort really might describe you know, going, going to a place and finding a, a, a bunch of excellent samples, right? Like you go – and you and you talk about gets. I know that you you'd say like, oh, this was a good get. I got to see this prospect here. Or, in particular, I assume you're looking for a collection of prospects when you go to a certain place. Yeah, really. Uh, at this point, as you know, when I was doing scouting the Sally and and the new project that I've been working on, I've been pulling in all the archives and the old pieces from there, and it's amazing to to see the quality of prospect I have access to now living in the Atlanta area. I mean, the drive is longer because I used to live around the corner from a ballpark, but Savannah really limited me to only seeing South Atlantic League players who were very far away. So as I look through those old archives, I'm seeing a bunch of reports on guys who are never going to amount to anything. Whereas, you know, last year, it's Dylan Bundy, it's Tawan Walker, it's a number of the best prospects in the game. It's seeing Trevor Bauer and Tyler Skaggs on back-to-back nights. Um, it was a, a, I get to see a higher quality prospect now. And Fangraph's readers are expecting me to write about the best prospects. And I think Fangraph's in general is expecting me to write about guys that will have a national appeal. If I'm writing about some low-level A-ball guy or college player, it may not um, interest the same type of audience and uh, eventually you have to write for a more general prospect audience if that you know makes sense yeah Um, yeah no i see you want to well of course i mean we know from certain research that uh guys who don't show up on top 100 lists for example uh, i mean there's obviously a population of players who don't show up on top 100 lists who then become major leaguers uh, mm-hmm. But we also know that typically uh, the players on those lists uh, are, tip- are typically the ones with the, with the higher ceilings. 
and mm-hmm. are more likely going to be the ones who end up in the major leagues. I don't. I mean, that's not um, that's not rocket science because we're not discussing uh, rockets or science. Uh, but it's also not particularly hard to understand, is what I mean to say. Metaphor. Yeah, and yeah. also, you know, as I've gotten more, uh, I've done this more. I've realized that you really have to um, maximize your opportunities to see as many players as possible on the same field. So for me, it makes more sense for, to travel overnight and catch a couple of games and a couple of BP sessions for six guys than it does for me to be at the ballpark every day getting a guy here, two guys there. So I actually travel less than I did um, uh, or, or go to less games than I did three or four years ago. But now it's, uh, you know, a lot of the work comes into picking the quality of games and being at the park for 10 hours instead of four when I lived in Savannah and could get there 10 minutes before game time. Um, there's a lot more planning that goes into doing this now and, and making sure that I am maximizing every penny of what small budget I have. Right. Well, listen, I, uh, I will request – Mike Newman, you know, you can adore me. You do frequently. But I will request that if you get an opportunity, I don't know uh, if NC State is coming to. They uh, are. They are. Because they have uh, they have Rodon, who I mentioned, and they also have a shortstop, Trey Turner. Uh, now, these guys are both sophomores, so maybe that's of uh, less interest to you. I think Turner, mm-hmm. though, was 57 of 61 on stolen bases last year in, you know, what what's probably like a 60 to 65 game schedule. So he averaged mm-hmm. about a stolen base per game. Uh, which is exciting, and um, I don't. But I don't. I, I've heard the only um, sort of cursory treatments of his defense, and if it's half decent, that's a, that's an exciting prospect, I imagine. But um, anyway, you know, um, as far as NC State goes, I mean, they do come in this year, and then they flip flop every year. I mean, the ACC schedule flip flops every year. Mm-hmm. So next year, Georgia Tech will be at NC State. So if I want to see the two of them, I really have to see them this year. Right, right. But as you mentioned, this, this sort of thing can happen where uh, maybe this guy's a first rounder, um, but then, um, but then you know uh, he has a bad a bad season. Which who knows? Uh, I mean, a bad season. We know that the the sample. We we have some idea thanks to research by Russell Carlton. Uh, known as Pizza Cutter uh, as well on uh, the internet. Yes, I have spent time with Pizza Cutter because he lives in Atlanta. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, there you are. And uh, he's he did uh, some excellent work on, um, I guess, uh, samples, uh, sample sizes that are needed uh, to get a to get a reliable idea of uh, this or that metric. Um, mm-hmm. You talk about slash stats, though. Um, I do, um, to the best of my knowledge, none of those are becoming reliable uh, even over the course of an entire. Uh, college baseball season, which is only, you know, it's going to be, like I said, 60, 65 games. Um, so a guy has a quote-unquote bad season, right? That could just be a, a question of, of uh, variation showing up in his stats. Maybe you look at the walk and strikeout rates, something that becomes, um, this, you know, stabilizes more quickly. Uh, maybe you see something there. Maybe if you look at home run rate, which stabilizes a little less quickly, but more so than any of the slash stats, you know, maybe there's something there. But but we talk about this idea of like a bad season for a college player. Who knows if it was actually a bad season uh, if we're just going by slash stats? Yeah, and there are a couple of other things. I mean, you know, the first being in general, and it's not always the, the case. I mean, there are players like Garrett Cole who turned down a, a – few million dollars to go pitch for UCLA just because he wanted to. But 
in general, I mean, the top high school prospects are going to be drafted and signed professional contracts, meaning that the college teams are going to be made up of not those guys. So, you know, it's a lot harder to find prospects on rosters full of not those guys. That makes it a little bit tougher to scout college. And, you know, an interesting conversation I had when I first started scouting, I I had been watching Jeffrey Marte because he was with the Savannah San Antonio. He's a player I like to talk about. But anyway, yes. yeah, continue. I know you like to talk about him. Yeah, and he's not. He's, but he's not. Uh, now he's he's not a Met anymore. He went somewhere. He's with Oakland. He's with Oakland now, right? So you may get a chance to put real eyes on him out in Arizona. Yeah, uh, not in a, so, a licentious way, or I mean, uh, a lascivious way, I should say. Uh, just in a normal way, where you're watching a prospect. Nothing, nothing uh, off color exactly. or anything like that. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So you know, I'm having a conversation with a scout about Jeffrey Marte, and Marte's in the midst of a two twenty, two thirty season as a 17-year-old in the South Atlantic League. Now, given that's the same age that most guys are high school juniors and seniors, and the scout correlated it to a freshman in college hitting about 390. Right. And, and this this uh, dovetails nicely with, with your interest in looking at sort of, um, at uh, I guess, backwards-looking translations, where you say, okay, uh, player X, uh, he didn't hit particularly well as a 21-year-old in AAA, but what does that same line look like if he's at age-appropriate single-A or something like that? Yeah, I mean, that happens all the time. Uh, I think just this past week I wrote about Byron Buxton and, and reference to Aaron Hicks and kind of that prospect hangover stage that, you know, a guy like Aaron Hicks has been above average at every level he's played at, but just because he hasn't been the minor league superstar that everybody expected him to be, that he's a big nothing at this point, you know. Sometimes, especially when guys have been in an organization for a while, we lose sight of the fact that um, they're, uh, they may very well be young for their age or age-appropriate at the level, and we spend our time getting excited about 22-year-old college kids who are hitting well in the South Atlantic League when a 22-year-old guy struggling in AAA is completely ignored. Right. And, you know, there's there's a perspective in it, and it's uh, prospect following is so much of what have you done for me lately that I always find it interesting to discuss that and point out such scenarios and, and situations where, you know, people have lost sight of certain guys, you know, well, Julio Tehran, uh, Aaron Hicks, and a lot of those types of players. Right. It could be, diff- yeah, be difficult. And, in fact, I saw John Sickles – uh, um, discussing this very thing with regard to, um, well, I guess uh, former A's prospect now uh, now a part of the Houston organization, Chris Carter. Uh, yes, Carter has given uh, has given people a lot of different looks uh, mm-hmm. over the course of. I, I forget if he was out of high school or college. I'm sure uh, you have some idea about that. Um, Young, I saw him in 2007 when he was with the White Sox. Oh right, right, and he came over. I think maybe. Is there a Carlos Gonzalez trade or Gio Gonzalez trade or one of those trades? Yeah. One of those trades, yeah. Yeah, a guy named Gonzalez. You got some guy named Gonzalez, and um, but yeah, Carter uh, uh, Carter has had crazy good seasons in the minors. Mm-hmm. He's also had some seasons, especially at like you know in um, leagues where he should have been hitting, uh, he, where he was uh, certainly less effective. And, and I think yeah. that must be difficult. And I think Sickles. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that he sp- spoke to this, too. He had 
he had grades for him, uh, you know, from A minus down to C plus, and mm-hmm. and partially, yeah, partially it's based on what on what the guy just did that that season because, you know, you only have you know the with a prospect certainly the most recent data is going to make the most sense because they are developing players, um, but at the same time you also I assume need to somehow use the underlying skills as kind of an anchor. Yeah, well, think about, uh, I mean, the guy that's in the big leagues right now, Eric Hosmer. His rookie season was at, what, 20? And he was phenomenal. And everybody was talking about him as the next great hitter in baseball. He sustains a sophomore slump, and all of a sudden he's entering his age 22 season with something to prove. And because he didn't build on that great age 20 season, it's difficult to continue to perceive him as the type of impact player that he was looked at initially as. Uh, you probably say the same thing about Justin Upton. Um, there are a lot of guys who uh, – the same thing was said about Jason Hayward his sophomore year. You know, he had that sophomore slump, which I'm pretty sure was due to injury, um, which often clouds the perception of a number of players. I and mean, Dustin Ackley is trying to recover from that this year. So, you know, but a, but a year or two in development can really change the perception. And, I mean, you're at the Zips. You, you and Dave are the two Zip guys. Well, of course, um, Zimborski I mean, Zimbors, he's the real. I mean, he's, he's the, he is Zips. He is yeah, the Zips And you're guy. the writer about Zips. Yes, I am the the lowly commentator. But, but uh, you're, you're the Zips commentator. But yeah. you see, if you've been monitoring Zips for the last few years, you know, a great age 20 season from Hosmer results in Hall of Fame comparisons, and now he's 22, and based on his projection, I'm sure the comparisons aren't quite Hall of Fame anymore. Right. Well, and here's another thing that happens, too. So take Andrew McCutcheon, for example. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon's been excellent, um, obviously, as a young player, and uh, he's only entering his age 26 season this year. He was mm-hmm. worth over seven wins last year. His Zips projection comes out to um, a little over five wins, Right. Naturally, yep. uh, um, people, uh, readers um, in the comment section express disbelief. They say, how is this possible? He still has not – he's likely – uh, even when we know of age curves, he likely has not reached his physical peak yet. Uh, he mm-hmm. might be a year or two away from it uh, if we look at a you know, generic age curve for, for a, a field or position player. And uh, how how is it possible that it's not uh, – that it's not only is it not above 7.4 or at 7.4, but it's it's like two wins below that. But Zimborski, uh, I mean, he, of course, Zimborski's not um, he's he's not doing these by hand, right? Like yeah. he has a he has a pretty well developed system uh, that's uh, you know derived algorithmically uh, and um, and by means of regression. And and, uh, and he's really, I mean, his projections in general are the most um, reserved, right? They're, They're the most conservative in they, general. They tend to be conservative, but you do also find uh, the Red Sox actually, or for example, John Lester coming into the season, his uh, war projection is higher than it's been either the last two years, just based on what he did uh, three and four years ago. You know that mm-hmm. we are expecting him to reach to regress upwards to his previous levels. So that does mm-hmm. exist. The point is that you know, and uh, Zimborski spoke to this point with regard to McCutcheon. He said, "Listen, yes, he's a fantastic young talent, and obviously to project a guy." for five-plus wins signals that this guy is, you know, uh, very likely going to be 
in an you know in an MVP conversation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, to project five plus wins, this is a this is rarefied air so far as uh, projection projections go. But he also said if you look at players, even players who have yet to reach um, uh, generally their peak ages, 27, 28, if you look at them, it, you you look at their they could have two excellent years. Generally speaking, that third year is not going to be as good as those two previous years, right? And and it could still be a fine year, but if you mm-hmm. take two, if if guy has two consecutive, um, you know, career seasons, he's likely not going to follow it up with a third career season. It's just how it's just how this works. You know, like you're talking with a with a uh, with a prospect. When Eric Hosmer puts up a great age twenty season, uh, part of that is his true talent, right? But then of course part of it is just the fact that you know he had 600 plate appearances and not 2,000 plate appearances, there's going mm-hmm. to be some variation. So even if his if his numbers in that age 21 year or age 21 season aren't as good, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's gotten worse. It's just uh, it's just how things have played out over the course of a smaller number of plate appearances than um, than is required to tell us about a player's actual talent level, right? Yeah, and, and to me it's also something just about the potential for upward mobility. Uh, I mean, it, it's a lot. Once you hit McCutcheon's level, uh, just common sense would say it's much harder to get even better than it is to get worse. <laughs> sure, <laughs> you know, sure, there's a, right. You know, it's a much easier path down than it is to project him at eight or nine wins or, you know, something along those lines. Right, and that's just not something you see. I think we've seen... Uh, we've seen a bunch of guys with, um, you know, with projections maybe in the six area. Buster Posey was a six. I think Ryan Braun was close to a six. Uh, I don't necessarily have Trout's uh, off the top of my head, but I think Trout. Thirteen. Yeah, thirteen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Tr- actually, I actually I, um, I I looked it up. I did a little clandestine research. Uh, Trout is projected at eight wins, which is really the highest you're going to see, unless which is more than the entire Astros team combined, right? And, uh, would not be shy. Certainly, certainly better than most rotations, yeah, mm-hmm. um, or than you know than, than a number of rotations. Uh, yeah, so that's the thing that happens. You know, I mean, eight wins—that's a crazy projection, especially for a guy entering uh, what is now age 21 season. Um, yeah. If he if yeah. he hits eight this year, then who knows what it's going to be next year. You know, I kind of wonder with those projections if it wouldn't make sense. And, and maybe it's already being done to, instead of take a look at the projected wins above replacement, to kind of rank them comparatively in terms of almost like a leaderboard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I'd imagine that even if the war totals are lower, that it would still, you know, somebody would look at the list of 1 through 25 or 1 through 50 and go, huh, that probably makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, in fact, if you go, uh, of course, uh, the Zips projections, I think, will be available at the site uh, next week um, in in full. And, and um, th- yes, that does become clear. And it's also now, like, the steamer projections, which are also quite good, in particular for pitchers, uh, but have generally been quite good. The steamer projections are available now at the site. And, yeah, if you sort by war, uh, the numbers will be – the numbers on average – uh, for the top of the leaderboard will be lower than the than the actual numbers at the end of the season uh, because we're dealing again with mean projections, right? Um, so the numbers at the end of the season will be higher than those in the projection board. But if you look at the order, then it makes a yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, listen, I want to ask you about one college player uh, before we go, and then and then uh, we can maybe uh, well, I have a couple of different directions we could go, but I want to ask you about one college player because you mentioned 
and um, and uh, it makes uh, complete sense. Um, you mentioned that generally speaking, those high end prospects are going to sign um, out of high school, right? That you're just not going to find a team full, at least a team full of um, you know likely future major leaguers or even high minor leaguers on a college on a college roster, and that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a certainly. I think that you would agree with this. There is certainly at least a class. I don't know how large this population is, but there's a class of player who, uh, because we're dealing with young men here, who get to, who get quite good uh, after age, you know, 18, uh, but before they complete their junior season in in college. There, that's the late pop- bloomers, basically, like the Strasburg type guys. So, uh, Strasburg is is probably the best example of that, seeing as he went from. Um, what undrafted out of high school or very lowly drafted to easy, undrafted, yes. yeah, to easy number one pick. That that's not going to happen all the time. In fact, it may never happen, right? But mm-hmm. but um, so I, I, a player that I actually was able to speak with um, during the um, uh, a couple weeks ago at the Milwaukee Brewers uh, Fan Fest or whatever you know whatever they call it uh, was Victor Roche, who was. Um, he was drafted, I think maybe the 25th round by the Tigers out of high school. Went to Georgia Southern, though, which is not a, a crazy baseballing program. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and, you know, I, I went to go see him. I, I was about to go see him, like mm-hmm. literally three or four days away from seeing him mm-hmm. when he had his wrist injury. Oh, right. Yeah, right. And, of course, so I missed him by a few days. Right. And so the wrist injury obviously creates other problems. But I'm curious how you feel about, or, or, and we'll talk about Roach in particular here, how you feel about Roach. He's a guy who, you know, did not go to a top-tier program, a decent program, not a top-tier program. And then uh, part of my French hit the shit out of the ball, uh, uh, both at the uh, – um, in his sophomore season and then uh, and then the Cape Cod League following that uh, and showed plus power. Um, of course, the wrist injury problematizes that. He dropped from probably a top 15, top 10 draft pick to first round still. Um, just from what you've heard about that, that sort of the main points of that that narrative. What do you think about a player like Victor Roche? Well, there are a couple things. First off, um, any time a guy drops like that in a team like the Brewers, who have a extremely weak farm system, are able to pounce. Um, that's a great thing for them. Uh, one of the things that they need are top flight. I mean, every organization needs top flight position players, but the Brewers like literally have zero, uh, none of them. I mean, probably their best position prospect in terms of offense is Hunter Morris, and I don't think he really cracked anybody's top ten list. Yeah. So they're a very pitching-heavy organization right now with some um, – Low-level offensive talent, but the upper levels are more fourth outfielder, um, second division, second base types. So their being able to get him so late was a coup for them. Uh, The big thing about players with Roach's profile are the fact that he's really going to have to hit a ton. Uh, You're looking at a guy who's already 21, um, he's missed time with a with a wrist injury, and you never know how the power returns from something like that. There are going to be question marks surrounding him. So my hope is that he starts out in the Florida State League. 
uh, is that they're aggressive with him and he hits well, and I have a chance to drive over to Mobile at some point and catch him later in the year and take a good look. For me personally, I'm, I'm normally suspect, suspect of these types of players and draft picks given um, they're not considered to be multi-dimensional players. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at a guy who's going to be a corner somewhere, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen a really top-flight corner offensive prospect. Um, they're, they're few and far between at the minor league level, and I often wind up going to the park to see one and leave disappointed because, um, you know, having seen Stanton and Hayward and Harper, I mean, those top-flight guys are, are, are all world. And generally, I, I don't see that. Well, is it just so? I mean, generally speaking, with a prospect like that, uh, for whom so much depends on um, on the offense, is it's just that? Oh, sorry, not just the offense, but on the bat and especially the power. Uh, if if that doesn't happen, right, then then mm-hmm. where does that player go? That's the question, right? A lot of times they wind up being quad A guys, right? You know, and and you want you know you, your high floor at the minor league level and many cases comes from the ability to do other things. You know, strong defensive profile, ability to run. That's why I love a guy like Anthony Go so much, That because I know even if he's a 250 hitter, he's going to walk some, he's going to play elite defense and steal a ton of bases. Now, those guys, like Peter Burgess, when he had a four-win season a couple years ago, I mean, those guys are going to have a – a high floor, even though they're considered these crazy tools guys that are huge risks. To me, a guy like Roche is, is even more of a risk because there's so much tied into the bat. Uh, for example, another big power prospect I saw last year was Adam Britt Walker. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. Another huge power right-handed hitting, pro- uh, hitting prospect. He was taken in the third round instead of the first uh, by Minnesota, but he's a guy that went to the small school, posted big power numbers, yada, yada, yada. And I saw him play in Elizabethan and be totally overwhelmed by crummy rookie ball pitching. I think he was 0-4 with four strikeouts. And it was enough for me to never feel the need to go scout him again. So um, it, it's very hard to, to take that big power profile, especially for a college guy, and translate it two big numbers at the major league level. Has the uh, has the introduction of the what the, the BB core, is that how you say it? I don't know how people say it. BB core, bats. Uh, has that changed for you the way you sort of mentally adjust uh, college offensive performances? Or is it or is it uh, is that not really the issue? From scouts that I've talked to, they love the new bats and they do feel that it makes it easier for them to scout college talent. Okay. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Um, all right. Well, I want. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure to ask you about Roche and, and how that what what he sort of does for you. Uh, it would be cool if you uh, if you get to see him. Uh, keep me advised certainly of that because uh, you know I mean the power seemed special, but as you note, uh, it, it's hard to say, especially after the wrist. Uh, at this point, it's hard to say about that. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, uh, uh, Newman, I wanted to ask you uh, before we go because or, so you know Fridays. Uh, you know, one one week I'll usually have a, a fantasy sort of um, edition of the podcast, and you know, with Eno Saris or one of uh, one of his gentlemen over there at Rotographs, and then uh, you know, I also do a, um, every other week a prospect pod, either with you or Hewlett. Uh, um, uh, we've had uh, some other guys on too. Uh, 
But here, listen, uh, this is an occasion on which uh, we might do a hybrid, uh, at least for a segment, might do a hybrid of those. Um, I don't know if people know this, but uh, you were in, was it was it uh, Fangraphs 2 or was it some manner of Experts League? But I think you won it. The Fangraphs Experts League, yes. And yeah. I won it by a um, very wide margin. Yeah, right. And uh, I don't know to what degree, well, I'll ask you, to what degree was your uh, expertise in uh, or your interest in prospect analysis, to what degree did that inform your victory? Well, I think it helped me quite a bit in landing prospects early on that I was able to deal at the deadline. Uh, I don't, you know, traded me Justin Upton, and for Trevor Story and another guy, I was able to uh, swap Danny Holtz in in a deal that brought me Robinson Cano and, and Buster Posey. So I was able to add quite a bit of talent based on the prospects I accumulated. But going back, I mean, I've been playing fantasy baseball for 20-some-odd years. Uh, my first draft pick ever was, I think, as a middle schooler. I took Daryl Strawberry in his first year with the Dodgers, and he wasn't uh, a great first-round pick. Yeah, that's a while ago, too. A long time ago. Yeah. A long time ago. It's something that I've, I've always been interested in, and, and it's something that, you know, fan graphs that I write more straight prospect stuff, and... Um, thought, you know, there's there's a, a piece of me that can write this stuff and enjoys writing this stuff, so why not um, be a, a bit more of a jack-of-all-trades? So what have you uh, – so tell me about your uh, your off-season, maybe, or maybe moves you made uh, at the very end of last season or your off-season, uh, or who you're targeting in your in your auction as, as that approaches. Well, uh, With the knowledge – sorry, with the certain knowledge that – that uh, some of your enemies will be listening. Well, that's that's all right. They can listen all they want. Um, you know, I have about $120 to spend on 13 guys, so I had to make some tough cuts. Probably the, um, you know, Ryan Braun was a difficult cut to make, even though his, his dollar number was extremely high. Uh, he would have taken half of my available money left. Well, probably my toughest cut was David Wright. Um he produced in value more for me than I paid for him, and I paid $33 for him. Uh, having to straight cut him without being able to uh, deal him for anything was um, not fun, but it came down to him or Clayton Kershaw, and at the end of the day I decided to go for the pitcher because I knew that there was no way that I could spend Clayton Kershaw's allocation on pitching. Mm-hmm and get the same kind of return on investment. So, um, you know, I chose Kershaw. I released right back into the player pool. You know, the other thing that was tough for me is is the Experts League decided to jack up my Xander Bogarts, and anybody that's ever listened to me knows how much I uh, am enamored with Xander Bogarts. So they jacked him up to 7 bucks, and I was forced to, cut bait because I think I can get him back for less in the auction. So I'll cross my fingers and hope that nobody's listening on that one. Well, so it should also be noted, right, that, uh, I mean, Bogart's at $7. That's a lot to be paying for a player um, who's who's not going to be on a major league roster to begin the season. No, I mean, I actually had Manny Machado for $7, too. So, I mean, Manny Machado's there already. He's expected to be the starting third baseman, and uh, my other shortstop is Andrelton Simmons, and I have him for three. So it, it's difficult to explain uh, allotting that kind of, of money uh, 
to, in, in, in quite a few leagues, any prospects, let alone a prospect that may not have any impact, impact this season, no matter how much I like the guy. You mentioned uh, you mentioned there both Xander Bogarts and Andrelson Simmons. Uh, I don't know if you're going to be watching any of uh, the World Baseball Classic, which begins, I think, on March 1st. Um, but if you are, I assume that uh, a game you'd be targeting uh, would would be one that involves the Netherlands, um, which uh, is rostering both those players, both, plus Jonathan Scope, uh, plus Jerickson Profar. So four mostly shortstop prospects, uh, all young, all talented. It's amazing. I had no idea that, like, Aruba and the Dominican Republic were in the Netherlands. <laughs> yes, that's right. But uh, it's such an amazing. I mean, I'm I, like I saw Bruce Chen was was thinking about playing for China. Um, I, I had no idea that like Florida was in China. Um, yeah. You know, it's pretty it's pretty amazing when you think about the the World Baseball Classic. To me, it's kind of. I know everybody likes to watch it because it's baseball on TV, but to me, it's kind of comical. I mean, there's really no, you know, play for China one year, play for Netherlands the next. You know, well, yeah, it's, but... it's, it's like Indian claiming, um, you know, Cherokee to get a piece of the the gaming money. You know, if you're like 125th, you have a claim. The WBC is the same thing. Well, so yeah, right. And this happens. I mean, certain players they want to play, right? So I think like this happened a couple of years ago, or one of the WBCs, or you saw, uh, you know, Doug Mirabelli on the Italian team. Uh, you know, Doug Mirabelli. Mm-hmm was probably not going to get a lot of PAs with the American team. Yes. And uh, for some people, I think it's a way of honoring uh, – it, it, like in that case, um, it's a way of uh, honoring, um, you know, uh, maybe a heritage. And then, of course, uh, in the case of uh, – yes, in the case of the Dutch team, uh, it's, a, uh, uh, it's a reminder of, of uh, imperialism and colonialism. So I've already officially announced on Twitter that I will not be pitching for the Israeli team this year. Who will you not be pitching for? Uh, well, I, I, I would qualify for the Italian team. Okay. And uh, I will be pitching for them. I'll be, I'll be in the back of the bullpen there. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of – are you familiar with Corey Burns, a former San Diego uh, reliever? I think who now might be with uh, somewhere in the Texas system. Uh, Loosely, yes. Yeah, I'm, from, I'm, a, I'm a Corey Burns type. I'm a right-handed pitcher. Uh, but I'm actually a, a bit of a left-handed specialist, owing to um, owing to a devastating changeup that I have, uh, but not much in the way of stuff. Um, I I, uh, I do have quite a bit in the way of deception. Um, okay. Yeah, um, mostly be, uh, sometimes I just won't throw the ball, and that throws uh, that throws hitters off quite a bit. It is well, it is well, a bock. Yeah, it's a bock. Uh, I still have my I still have my mitts from college. Yeah. So and I still have a working jock strap as well. So working, I will working bring jockstrap. Oh, working jockstrap. So I will, I will pack both of those in my suitcase on the way to Arizona. Oh yeah, you want to see, you want to see a devastating change. You want to see some. We depth? will go to, we will go to a backfield. Okay. We will get somebody to tape it for knockouts. Yeah. And we'll see if anybody wants to hit against you or something like I'll that. I'll tell you what, you're going to end up. That's not going to end up on knockouts. It's going to end up on the main page because you're going to start. You're going to see a star. Is, uh, a star is born. That's how you're going to start feeling about that. Once that would be fantastic. Yeah. And then Jeff Sullivan can make a bunch of gifts. Yeah, that's true. Although I will say this about Jeff Sullivan. Uh, uh, in terms of quantity, um, his his giftum cannot be rivaled. But uh, occasionally I do take issue with uh, quality. 
I don't. Uh, he he may not. He may lack processing power or some sort of memory situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, his gifts are not always the highest definition. They're not always of the highest definition. Well, we have a lot of really smart, like programming Fangraphs people. I wonder yeah. if somebody could make a script that can just write Jeff Sullivan's shoot articles out, for him. Shoot out gifts. <laughs> shoot out gifts. No, I think a script might already do that. Yeah, that's right. I think it's yeah. <laughs> well, Jeff Sullivan. Uh, I know not everyone's had the I mean, opportunity he, to meet He writes like what eight a day? Yeah, he's sort of like a walking. He's a little bit uh, computerish in his mannerisms, anyway. I don't know. I mean, his articles are essentially uh, just a transcript of of his internal monologue. Um, mm-hmm. So that to meet Jeff Sullivan or to read one of his articles really is to meet Jeff Sullivan. Yeah. They yeah. say the same thing about you. Well, I'm glad they do. I'm glad they do. Listen, uh, Mike Newman, I think that uh, you have uh, fulfilled your duty to. Uh, uh, to Fangraphs Audio, and additionally, um, one of the two of us has to eat a quick lunch and uh, begin drinking a beer before uh, for, uh, before 2 p.m. Central comes around uh, so that he can watch uh, college baseball and probably make some gifts of that. Well, that is fantastic. I actually have a – it's my son's sixth birthday today. Oh, that's so, nice. That's great. Yes, yes. We have a day down in the city planned, and if I'm late for that, I'll get in big trouble. Yeah, and yeah. then – I still have about 150 words to write on a Ruby Delarosa piece, but I'm having an awfully difficult time on it. Unlike Jeff, I am not automatic with my words, and What's the deal sometimes with, uh, I get very stuck. What are you going to say about Ruby Delarosa? I mean, by way of preview, you don't don't know you to divulge everything. No, you know the big thing with me and and Delarosa is that I've always thought he was a premium talent, mm. and even with the setback with Tommy John. You know, he shows he, he's been healthy since last August. So, you know, he's a number of months removed from Tommy John surgery. And I think the fact that he was a player to be named and was essentially shut down at the end of last year waiting to be dealt kind of caused people to forget about him a little bit. Um, and in essence, I the Red Sox have a lot of decent pitchers, mm-hmm. more pitchers than they have roster spots for. And they have quite a bit of money invested in, well, poorly invested in guys like John Lackey, yeah. who we pretty much know, you know, in terms of just how baseball goes. A guy that's on a big contract will continue to receive opportunities, even if they're not deserving of opportunities anymore. Yes. So, you know, I'm trying to find a pathway for De La Rosa to be productive because, honestly, I think they're a better team with him. Mm-hmm. But I'm having trouble finding one. Yeah, it is uh, peculiar. I mean, a team, I think uh, you mentioned that they have more starting pitchers than they do slots. Uh, I think that that is, a, that is probably a move um, that you can expect a team to make after they've given significant innings the previous season to Aaron Cook. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I get it. I get it, you know, but uh, the whole Red Sox offseason kind of, you know, just seemed a little bit wonky to me that, they were just so bad last year and then brought in a bunch of vets on pretty solid contracts, almost like to try and turn the ship around to become a 90-win team again. Yeah. And then that pitching staff is going to have worse pitchers on it than Ruby De La Rosa. So when you look at Jacoby Ellsbury being a free agent and you look at some of the tough decisions that they're going to have to make, mm-hmm. those wins in April and those wins in May are going to be awfully important to them. And if De La Rosa is on a 150-inning limit – Mm-hmm. I would much rather him b- 
be contributing to my rotation in April and May when I'm trying to cement myself as part of a playoff race than to give those innings to lesser guys. What do you think about utilizing him in maybe a longish relief role uh, for the season? That way you can give him some important innings and maybe maybe keep him on your roster for the entire season. Well, he clearly wants to be a starter, Mm -hmm. and he has the stuff to be a starter. So, I mean, him as a it would be perfect for him to be a fifth starter with 150 innings cap mm-hmm. that that skips the start every once in a while and maybe makes it to August in a starting rotation, mm-hmm. and then with his last 30, 40 innings, you know, goes into a high leverage bullpen situation, um, depending on how the Red Sox are doing. Uh, I, you know, that just seems like it would be a perfect role for him this year. Yeah. You know, the one knock one knock against him is that he's never thrown more than 110 innings in a season as a professional. So you can't expect him to come back from TJ and throw 185. So, you know, he, he's kind of in a tough spot, but at the end of the day, he probably has the best fastball in the organization, and he has the most electric stuff within the organization. So, you know, they brought in... Yohara, they brought in Hanrahan, they brought in Dempster, they brought in a bunch of guys. They already had a bunch of guys who they held on to. And I'm just wondering when Ruby's turn's going to be. Yeah, that's what everyone's wondering. That's the big... And now nobody's going to read the article because I pretty much blew it on here. Well, don't worry. No one listens to this anyway. I don't know. You'd be surprised. I would be surprised. You're right. That's precisely the case. Hey, listen... Uh, uh, Mike Newman, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure as always, or as most of the time. I'll say as most of the time, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, it's amazing. When we only talk once a month, we have a lot to talk about. Mm, I think you're getting my goat right now is what you're trying to do. I'm going to get a shot in there every time I get. Yeah, do it. All right, that is Prospect Analyst, proprietor of uh, what, rotoscouting.com? What are we saying? Yes, rotoscouting is the new project. Rotoscouting.com is the new project. We did talk about that. That will give us something to discuss next time. Uh, sure. We can uh, we can plug that shamelessly for you. Uh, but in the meantime, yes, rotoscouting.com is the new project. Uh, don't hesitate to check it out. I'm not saying go check it out, but I'm also saying don't hesitate. If, you, if you're curious about it, do it. Um, if you're not, that's okay, though, too. I mean, people have their own... People. It's not okay. It's not okay. Oh, okay. Well, he says... Not, not from my view. Not from not your okay. point of view. No, that's right. You're, yeah. you're a capitalist. You're a ruthless capitalist. Uh, I, I'd yes. like to do it. That is... That's pretty uh, impossible in blogging. I like to thank... Mike Newman, I'm Carson Stooley. Uh, This has been Fangraphs Audio.